Well, good evening. I want to certainly second what Justin said in welcoming you to the study. We are looking at um, Romans chapter 3 tonight. And we kind of started our evening off with a little bit of a disruption with a pickup throwing a fit. And I think I hit the button, and then I think I caused other people to hit the button to try to silence theirs and started something. But I, I chuckled to myself a little bit after that was over because I realized that um, Paul, in writing this, really started kind of a disruption or pointed out a disruption. Um, I found this chapter very, very educational, and the bottom line of, of our study tonight is that Jesus is our salvation, and everybody's sin, and we would be condemned without him. And, and Paul comes into this right off the bat with some questions and, and addressing some things that they were important to the people of the area, of the era, particularly the Jews. You know, 2,000 years later, we know these things, and, and it's important, I think, to understand the context of, of people's mindsets and um, what the addressees that, that Paul's writing to here uh, in the book of Romans, kind of where they're, where they're coming from and, and why he's saying the things he's saying. And, you know, basically they, the Jews, as as the, the keepers of the law and the God's chosen people, they kind of had this status in their mind that they're redeemed, that they're, that they're saved, that they're good to go. And a lot of this is really explaining why that is a fallacy and why they're, they're lost in that mindset and that they need Jesus just like the rest of us. And so that's, that's where we're going tonight with, uh, with Romans chapter 3 and um, he spends quite a bit of time kind of dealing with that subject, um, but then sort of gets that settled and, and he hits on faith, and I think that it, it really would stir some thoughts in, in that section of the chapter in a lot of people uh, studying this and maybe even kind of have a few aha moments when we take a look at that. And so let's jump into our text tonight, um, Romans 3. One of those questions that, that Paul addresses starting out is this position of the Jews here, um, God's chosen people were kind of uh, understandably, con- it was confusing to them. Uh, many may wonder, you know, if Jesus is here to save everyone else, or is he here to save all the people, including the Jews, or was it bogus that they were a chosen people anyway? You know, did they really have an advantage? Do the Jews have some sort of advantage? And that's, that's the first thing he says here in verse 1, is what advantage then have, has the Jew? Or what is the profit of circumcision? <clears throat> Much in every way is the answer. They have a lot of advantage. Much in every way, chiefly because to them were committed the oracles of God. So the Jews were given and entrusted with the words of God. They had the prophecies, they had revelations. It's a huge advantage to have that basis and that understanding. And as Jesus proves over and over in his time on earth that the prophecies are about him and the Jews' rejection of him was completely unfounded because they did have this advantage. They they knew God and and God knew them and they, uh, they misunderstood, but they had the advantage. In verse 3, He says, for what if some did not believe, referring to the Jews, what if some of the Jews did not believe? Will their unbelief make the faithfulness of God without effect? Certainly not. Indeed, let God be true, but every man a liar, 
as it is written that you may be justified in your words and you may overcome when you are judged. So the Jews even having the law and knowing what God demanded sometimes were unfaithful to them. Some of them at times, they, they failed to follow that law. But this doesn't change God's faithfulness. And the Jews' injustices had no effect. Um, they had the effect of this opportunity to display God's justice. Uh, so really the question here is to ask if the unfaithfulness of the Jews would invalidate the faithfulness of God's. Well, God promised through the seed of Abraham salvation. And of course, he remained faithful to that promise. So the answer, as, as it says here, is certainly not in verse 4. Uh, so even though the Jews who were God's chosen people, who had this advantage, who were entrusted with with the law and the word and the prophecies, even though they failed, that didn't change the fact that God, through Abraham, gives us salvation. He was faithful to his promise. And it says there at the end of it that, that you may be justified in your words and you may overcome when you are judged. That's a quote from Psalm 51 and 4. Um, again, talking to, as we established in chapter 1, to all that are in Rome, Jews, Gentiles, everybody, um, we still need to understand that he's kind of focusing these words towards the Jews, and he's going to use a lot of things that they know, the Old Testament writings that they're familiar with. He's going to use that in proving uh, where he's coming from here. So Psalm 51 and 4 says, Against you, you only, have I sinned and done this evil in your sight that you may be found just when you speak and blameless when you judge. That's uh, from David, King David. And uh, the context in here is David being an exemplary Jew, a man after God's own heart. He's committed this grave sin, and he was under God's condemnation. David was acknowledging the justice of his own condemnation, even though he's a Jew, the Jew's Jew, basically. Paul is saying that God is righteous, and it needs to be known that despite sin, the Jews were still entitled to eternal life in heaven, but not simply because they were Jews and God promised it to them, but rather because they, as Jews, are saved by Jesus just like the rest of us. His judgment is still righteous. Our sin, their sin, everybody's sin, it was brutally punished. Sinful Jews and Gentiles alike getting into heaven does not disqualify God being blameless when he judges. So he is still righteous. He is still perfect. His judgment is, is God's judgment. And you can't say, well, because I'm a Jew, I'm going to get into heaven, even though I've sinned and not kept the law. But you can say that my sin has been paid for. It was punished. Christ took that punishment and therefore can be found righteous in his sight or atoned for. <clears throat> in verse 5, Paul writes, but if our unrighteousness demonstrates the righteousness of God, what shall we say? Is God unjust who inflicts wrath? I speak as a man. Um, kind of to rephrase that, when he says I speak as a man, he's saying I'm kind of from the logic of a person, is it is God being a little too harsh by uh, punishing sin, inflicting wrath, when in fact our sin is 
basically showing how great he is. Well, that's kind of a silly argument, I think, but um, a very silly argument, really. If we sin and, theref- and therefore we can see that God is perfect and um, righteous, then should he give us some slack, speaking as a man? Certainly not, verse 6. For then how will God judge the world? For if the truth of God has increased through my lie to his glory, why am I also still judged as a sinner? Um, Paul being judged as a sinner by the Jews, saying he's lying, and that's kind of invalidating that, that first argument there. And why not say, let us do evil that good may come? as we are slanderously reported and as some affirm that we say, their condemnation is just. Now that last part I think kind of makes this make sense to me. Um, it, it firms up the root of this silly question. Apparently in a slanderous or falsely accusing way, they're saying that they're sinning just for the sake of showing how God saves. And as I mentioned, Paul is addressing some of these questions in these first few verses, um, basically putting to rest Jewish objectors' arguments. And it's a little bit hard for us as Christians to see the point of view the accusers had, but Paul, of course, knew exactly where they were coming from. And these responses are directed at that that frame of mind. Um, But as we move on in this chapter, it kind of becomes clear to us. Paul shows us how the Jews are on the same level as everyone else, which, by the way, is not good. It's a level of we have failed and we are in need of a Savior. Paul's already identified himself with the Jews, and he means Jews right here in verse 9 when he says the word we. He says, what then are we, the Jews, better than they, everybody else? The answer, not at all. For we have previously charged both Jews and Greeks that they are all under sin. He reinforces that it's already been said, it's been established, Jews and Greeks, or basically everyone else, considering that audience, has committed sin. He's reinforcing that that fact by quoting a lot of a lot of scripture, a lot of Old Testament scripture, and most of this is actually paraphrased. Um, You can go back and find each of these, uh, and and the words it's the same statement, but uh, a lot of these are psalms that are sort of truncated here. Verse ten. He says, as it is written, there is none righteousness, no, not one. Uh, And that's quoting Psalm 14 and 1 and Psalm 53 and 1, and they both say the exact same thing. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. They have done abominable works. There is none who does good. There is none righteous, no, not one. That's another word, way of saying all of us have sinned. Um, verse 11, there is none who understands, there is none who seeks after God. Verse 12, they have all turned aside, they have together become unprofitable, there is none who does good, no, not one. Now this really might, I think, strike the Jew in the heart, because in their minds, they are the ones, if anybody, who understand and seek after God. It says, there is none who understands, there is none who seeks after God. Well, the Jews would be like, "Uh uh-uh. We know, we got the law, we understand, we, we've, yeah, we know God, we seek after him. They, in their minds, they have that covered. 
But they didn't understand that their whole system was temporary. It was not God's plan to live under the law indefinitely. In fact, even though they might have thought they were, they really weren't seeking after him. And they didn't understand, which, which meant they will go astray. And that's what Paul means by they have all turned aside. They have together become unprofitable because they just weren't doing themselves any favors. <clears throat> Continuing this, this summary of evidence that we have all sinned, um, here in verse 13, Paul says, Their throat is an open tomb. With their tongues, they have practiced deceit. The poison of asps is under their lips. I have a hard time with saying the word asps. That's a type of snake. It's a viper. Um, Psalm 5 and 9 is, is what he's referencing here. It says, For there is no faithfulness in their mouth. Their inward part is destruction. Their throat is an open tomb. They flatter with their tongue. Uh, also, Psalm 140 and 3. They sharpen their tongues like a serpent. The poison of asps is under their lips. Selah. In verse 14, uh, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Well, that's Psalm 10 and 7, which says, his mouth is full of cursing and deceit and oppression. Under his tongue is trouble and inequity. 15, their feet are swift to shed blood. Um, Actually, 15, 16, and 17 are all from one psalm. Destruction and misery are in their ways, and the way of peace they have not known. He's talking about in Isaiah 5 and, uh, 59 and 7, which says their feet run to evil, and they make haste to shed innocent blood. Their thoughts are thoughts of iniquity. Wasting and destruction are in their paths. Verse 18, there is no fear of God before their eyes, uh, which is from Psalm 36 and 1. An oracle within my heart concerning the transgression of the wicked. There is no fear of God before his eyes. All of these are words very familiar to these Jews who can't refute, yep, yeah, this, is, this is bad, people are bad, we're all bad. That's, that's scripture they know. In verse 19, Paul writes, Now we know that whatever the law says... It says to those who are under the law that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. My understanding here is that where he says every mouth stopped, it's kind of a court of law thing. They would, they would put their hand over their mouth, indicating they had nothing more to say in their defense. We might kind of think of it as saying, well, I rest my case. And it's clear that nobody has a defense in the law. Based on the law, all the world is guilty. They cannot claim that they're perfect because of the law. They failed to keep it. So according to the law, God can see, justified in no flesh, justified in his sight. God can see that nobody is justified. It's the law that makes it plain to us. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. The law is educating people of where we've gone astray. That's the function and the purpose of the old law. By appealing to the law of Moses, the thinking is that the Jews were, were given the law and so they would be justified. But ironically, they ought to be the ones, the only ones that know that they're not justified because they know the law. So claiming Judaism as a saving state, that would only work if they managed to perfectly keep the law. 
And we just went through a long list of evidence that they know, that Paul knows, that we all know crushes that argument. Everybody has got dirt on them. So let's address this verse concerning faith. Got a lot up here, apologize. I'm going to read it all, and then we're going to go back and kind of break it down. Romans 3 and 21. But now the righteousness of God, apart from the law, is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all who believe. For there is no difference. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God set forth as a propitiation by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness, because in his forbearance God has passed over the sins that were previously committed to demonstrate at the present time his righteousness, that he might be justified and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Um, I count one sentence there. I don't know if any of y'all are English teachers, but that's hard. That is, I worked with the guy that emailed that way. He didn't use periods. Um, I, ha- I have to look at this chunk by chunk, piece by piece. Um, so let's, let's do this. Now, I'm using the new King James tonight because it's a little bit closer to today's plain English than the King James. And Paul, especially when he's fired up and has run-on sentences and all this, well, he's very eloquent, you might say. Or you might say he's just hard to keep up with. But in, in this verse... The King James, not the New King James, and actually a lot of other versions, I think more correctly use the word of there instead of the word in. Righteousness of God through faith of Jesus Christ. God is righteous and righteously judges our sin and righteously punishes it. And Jesus was faithful to fulfill the promise and to bear the punishment through his sacrifice on the cross. This is talking about the faithfulness of Jesus that saved us. He also says, for there is no difference. Uh, That's reference to the Jews and the Gentiles being all on that same level playing field of having failed to be righteous and having the opportunity, by the way, to accept Jesus and to be saved by him. Romans 3 and 23 for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's one that a lot of people can recall. And, and I'm hesitant to kind of to say I have a favorite verse, but I think that it's kind of one of my more important or, I don't know, not favorite's just a bad word, but it's one of the most important things I think is, to, is it recognizing how lost we are. That's the foundation of being saved because Jesus is the Savior, but anybody who refuses to believe that they're lost, they simply don't care. We need to know that we have all sinned and that we've all fallen short of the glory of God. And it's going to be everlastingly too late for for those that that refute that. It'll be proved wrong in the end. Um, Verse 24 says, Being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Now while we know we have duties as Christians and we need to not only obey the gospel but to live a life of good works and repentance. Um, that's doing stuff. That's, that's putting an effort in, and that 
you might think, well, that's kind of contrary to freely giving. You know, if it's freely given, this, this grace, and we shouldn't have to do anything. We shouldn't worry about it. But <clears throat> we need to recognize that we cannot earn our salvation. It's by grace. And since it can't be bought or earned, it is freely given. We are asked to live within our faith in that salvation to obey the gospel, to, to follow his will, to, re, to live a life of repentance. But that didn't earn our grace. That didn't earn our salvation. It's freely given. That is a key piece of this entire scripture. Verse 25, whom God set forth as a propitiation by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance God had passed over the sins that were previously compit, committed. God set forth or gave us Jesus as a propitiation or atonement for by his blood, which because it was God's price that he set, it was enough. Enough so that God could forbear or set aside past sins that they might be covered. <clears throat> now verse 27 This strikes me as a little odd, um, kind of a change of pace. And he says, where is boasting then? It is excluded. By what law? Of works? No, but by the law of faith. Therefore, we conclude that a man is justified by faith apart from the deeds of the law. Or is he the God of the Jews only? Is he not also the God of the Gentiles? Yes, of the Gentiles also, since there is one God who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith, do we then make void the law through faith? Certainly not. On the contrary, we establish the law. Again, some of that language is a little hard to follow. The boasting or the glorying that, that Paul speaks of here is the sort of thing that you could expect from anyone who has actually kept the law perfectly and would be found righteous by God. And again, Paul pounded that argument into the dirt in this chapter. That person doesn't exist. No one can, be, can boast of that you know, besides Jesus, obviously. The Jew might have been closer to God and know him more so than the Gentile. But sin is sin. And as it said in verse 22, there is no difference. We are all separated from God by sin. The law of works versus the law of faith is, is kind of a confusing part for me there. And we aren't saved by works as required by the law. We failed. But the law and judgment still exists. It's our, our sins are judged. They're punished. They're nailed to the cross. The law of faith, that's noted in a few different places, um, described in a few different ways. Uh, Romans 8 and 2, and I don't have this one on the board, but it says, for the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. And James 1 and 25 says, but he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does. James 2 and 8. If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You do well. Hebrews 8 and 10. For this is the covenant 
that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their mind and write them on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And what we're talking about here is following Jesus. That's how we are saved. So it's not the law of Moses that justifies us. It's faith apart from the deeds of the law, as it says there in verse 28. It's extremely arrogant, honestly, for the Jews to say that the creator of all mankind, of everything around us, is the God of the Jews and not the God of anything and everybody. Because we are all the same. He's our God. He's their God. He's our God as mankind. So, of course, verse 29, is he the God of the Jews only? Is he not also the God of the Gentiles? Yes, the Gentiles also. There is one God. He's going to justify us all through faith. Faith does not void the law. The law of Moses was indeed what God wanted them to follow. But it's Jesus that saves us from our inability to be righteous according to God's law. That concludes our text of the night. Uh, I found it very interesting. Again, I read this in probably five different um, translations um, because the language is a hard thing to get around. But really the the understanding of, of the position of the Jews and their, their belief in, you know, being justified as keepers of the law. Uh, it coming from there explains a lot of this and and helps to understand, Uh, but it's really an easy concept. And again, I go back to Romans three and 23 for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And that's why we need Jesus. And at this time we offer the invitation and if you need Jesus, because we need Jesus, if you don't have him, we want you to have him. We want you to come forward as we stand and sing. If you need to obey the gospel, we're prepared to handle that. If you need prayers, if you need anything that the church can offer, please come forward as we stand and sing.